Welcome to Harnessing Your Wealth with Billy Peterson. As the founder and CEO of Peterson Wealth Services and a former number one ranked jockey, Billy knows what it takes to succeed. In this podcast, Billy and his team will help equine enthusiasts, business owners, and retirees understand the keys to financial freedom. Saddle up and get ready for a ride you won't soon forget on how you can harness your wealth. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Once again, this is Harnessing Your Wealth. I'm your host, Billy Peterson. Today, I want to welcome our guests, Cade Peterson and Sean Peterson. Welcome, boys. Good to be here. Thanks for having us, Bill. And today, the show is going to be talking, we're going to talk a lot about getting started with investing. So we're going back to the basics. We're going back to really the fundamental reasons of why we're all here, why we became financial advisors in the first place, and give you some context around why we why we think it's so important to help the younger generation understand these basic concepts. We just wrapped up our financial literacy boot camp. And those of you who know us have heard us talk about this probably quite a bit. We spend a day at Weber State University and we bring in a host of other presenters and teachers and we bring students from around the Inner Mountain area here who come up from their school districts by bus and they spend the day learning concepts about money, investing, good habits, avoiding debts. And along with that, we talk a bit about overall health and wellness and just the pitfalls that many students can find themselves in in today's really busy world driven by social media. We've added a couple of those things to just help keep people grounded. But the foremost issue that we deal with is financial literacy. And we think it's so critical that students get started early. And that's why we're passionate about it. So we thought it would be appropriate today to share what we do at that event and allow you all to hear why we do what we do. And maybe you can pass this along to friends or family members, your own children or grandchildren, see if they want to listen to this podcast show and maybe give them some tips that would be important for the rest of their life. I thought I would provide my story really quick, and I'm going to turn some of the time over to Cade and Sean. So back in my youth, I call that a long time ago, <laughs> I was 14 when I started investing. And it was really a good Samaritan, I'll call him, farmer from my hometown in Morgan. His name was Kenny Tucker. And he took an interest in me, knowing that I was riding racehorses at the time. And at that age, I was making pretty good money. In those years, when you were making $1,000 a week, that was considered quite a bit of money. And galloping horses, exercising horses, and then going to the races and making the purse money I was, I thought I was doing pretty well putting that money in the bank. I had already opened a bank account and had a checking and a savings account. I had no idea there was such a thing as investing that money. So I was disciplined in not spending it recklessly. But like any kid, I, I guess I did some things that I shouldn't have. However, Mr. Tucker brought a newspaper into the coffee shop one afternoon and 
asked me what I was doing with my extra money. And it proudly told him I was saving it, putting it in the bank. Well, he said, hey, that's that's good. That's a start. But let me show you what you really should be doing with your money, especially at your age. And he opened up the paper to the financial section. And then he scrolled down to a section called mutual funds. These things, terms I'd never heard before at that age. And he went down through the mutual funds and found a fund family, circled it. And then from that fund family, went down even further and found the actual fund that he was recommending that I start investing in. Now, he'd taken the liberty of bringing an application for me to fill out and send in in order to get my account open. And, of course, you need a parent's authorization sign-off. In those days, it wasn't really that difficult. So I decided, hey, I'm going to take his advice on this, and I'm going to open an investment account. Didn't really know what I was getting into, but I started to learn more about it, reading some of the prospectus material and their investment material, and kind of got swept up in that. Well, I did it. And I started to all also add money to it every month. I checked the box, like draft money right from my bank account and continue to build that. So at age 14, of course, you don't really see things. Time passes so slowly, it feels like. But over a period of years, I start to notice the results. I start to see the, the power of the investments growing. And of course, it doesn't grow straight up. It steps forward and steps back a little bit, moves up and down. But over the years, it started to average pretty nice returns. And I started to increase my contributions. And the point I'm making is that opened up the entire world to me. And it set probably my entire life on track for what I do now. I became passionate about it. I helped a lot of other people learn how to do it in my career as a jockey. And I'm still helping people to this day. And so this is the show. This is what we're going to talk about and why it's so important to help people get started while they're young. Sean, how did you get started? Well, I have one question, Billy. What's a newspaper? <laughs> Boy, I knew they were going to get me at some point in time. You know, these these young whippersnappers these days, I, I used to laugh when I'd hear that term from my grandpa, but... Now I know what he was talking about, you punks. <laughs> I'm just teasing you, but that's good. I, I always like hearing you share that story. And my story is kind of similar. I, I had a, a grand, grandpa, George Crandall, and he ran a very successful Ford, Ford business, started in, in Colville and eventually moved over to Park City. And he'd always done well for himself financially. And and I I was always asking him about it. And one day he he showed me his um, his brokerage statement and all the companies that he had money in and how it grown over time. And it just, it got me excited. And I think I was maybe 16, 17 years old at the time. And I was like you, you know, everyone said, save your money, save your money. And um, I wasn't riding horses or anything. I was, I was not built for that. I was more built for mowing lawns or. All right. You were riding yeah. a skateboard. You didn't yeah, mow any I, lawns. I had a skateboard out, but I, I also worked at my other grandpa's uh, mink farm. And so I was making a little bit of money and it was getting piled into the bank. Cause that's what we're told to do. Save your money. And I was like, you thought I was doing the right thing. And, and I was, but now I, you know, my grandpa showed me that and how it could actually grow over time. And, you know, he had pretty good uh, 
uh, amount of money in, in Ford stock being a Ford dealer. And I was like, well, I want to do that. So I, I got my account opened up and I've, I've shared this before, but it was with Billy. He didn't even know me. I was just a small fry, but he let me open up an account with him. And Sean, I knew you, we were cousins. <laughs> we're still cousins. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> I know I just, you know, I probably wasn't hitting that minimum at the time, but that that's really what, what got me started. Um, just my grandpa saying, Hey, you know, this is what I do. You should really look into it. And it just, I don't know. I was really excited about that. And then I was always watching the markets and, and seeing, you know, the daily trends and how my Ford stock was doing. Cause I put a little money in that. And then you kind of get some ideas of, of what you want to invest in. So you start spreading it across different companies, different funds, and you watch your money, you know, grow over time. And like you said, it's not a straight line, but over the years it it's really added up. And I'm, I'm so thankful that that, that opportunity was shown to me and, and that's that's what really fueled my fire to get into what I do now. Um, Great I story. Want, yeah, I want to help other people do that. So that's why financial advisor was was on my horizon from a from very young age. It almost feels like it was there. It, fate was starting out like, and I yeah. tell people even to this day, they ask, "Well, how do I know what career career path I should follow or get into?" and you know, things have a funny way of coming into place for you when you're ready. And so you don't know it at the time, but the dominoes start to set up and, and then you look back and say, wow, if I didn't, if I hadn't have met that specific person at that time, who knows the direction my life would have taken. The stars just kind of, kind of align when they need to. Right. It's good. Cade, what about you? I, this will be interesting from, (laughs) from the perspective of my son, you know, growing up around this and hearing me talk a lot and probably uh, say a lot of things that maybe I shouldn't have said to you, but let's hear your story. Well, I definitely wasn't making a thousand dollars a week. In fact, I'd work about a hundred hours a month at the mink farm and I'd get paid a hundred dollars a month. <laughs> well, so. that's just to build character. Matter of fact, you should have probably been paying grandpa to be there. Yeah. Think of the life lessons. That's what he always says to me. Anyway, I didn't get paid anything working on that farm. That's why I had to get away from it. <laughs> well, I figured that out pretty quick, but yeah, growing up in a house where you were constantly on the phone with clients, you were always talking to me about investing and how important it is. I remember some of the first stocks that I ever picked and you would, you know, give us some money if we did good in a baseball game or something like that. And you'd, say, I'm going to give this to you, but you're going to have to choose a stock to invest it in. You're not just going to take it and spend it on something stupid. But I remember Raymond James, I owned that company when I was a teenager and I still own it today. And Citigroup, those were the two stocks. And I didn't need to look in the finance section of the newspaper to (laughs) see how they did, but I had the stock app on my phone. So I'd be there in school and I'd watch it and see what they did. I just always thought it was interesting. I think a lot of people, when they're kids, they want to grow up and do something that their dad does. So I always kind of idolize you for that. And I know that you've done well, and I wanted to follow in your footsteps. And I knew that I'd have to start investing at a young age in order to do that. That was kind of step one in order to get the ball rolling. So yeah, I mean, n- nothing crazy there. I didn't have some 
guru come into the coffee shop and teach me anything. I, I wouldn't just... call him a guru. He was a mink farmer. He just happened to, happened that, to want to help me, which was important. That's the thing. You don't need to be a guru to get started with investing, right? Yeah. right. All you got to do is take that first step. And that's what we're telling these kids at the financial boot camp is, look, no one's going to do it for you. I know this can seem scary and intimidating, but all you got to do is take that first step and you'll figure it out. And then there's folks like us that can help you along the way. There's maybe other influences in your life that can help you along the way. And if there isn't, you do it yourself. I mean, that's really what retirement has become in, in the US nowadays is you got to do it yourself. There's no pension there for you anymore. Hardly any companies have that. Very hard to retire by just you know putting money in the bank that doesn't earn a earn much of a return. So you got to take that next step and you don't have to be a guru to do it. Well, you know who is a guru is Warren Buffett. I think that's someone that we all have idolized as investors and financial advisors. I find his story to be pretty fascinating as well. I just thought I'd share that really quick. He bought his first stock when he was 11. So younger than all three of us when we first bought ours, he bought uh, Cities Service Preferred and he bought it he bought three shares of it, $38 a share. And pretty quickly after that, it dropped to $27 a share. He held on. He didn't sell, get out of the boat. And eventually it jumped up to 40. So he had a small profit. And what did he do? He sold. He took his small profit, got off the table. And then not long after the stock shot up to about $200 a share. And that's <laughs> when he said that was a learning lesson for me. And that's when he started becoming a long-term investor, what he's famously known for. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah, always said story. his people ask him, how long do you hold a stock? And his holding period is forever. That's mm -hmm. what he, that's what he says. So, and he's, and he's got some, some investment tips, you know, Warren Buffett, the, the Oracle himself of Omaha. And, and one thing, well, I'm going to share five of them with, with you guys is um, first one here is invest in yourself. And I think this is huge, whether it's, you know, investing in your education or your career, you've got to take some steps to, to put some time and effort and money into yourself. And I, I also add on here, planning for your own retirement. Like I mentioned earlier, no one's going to do it for you nowadays. Another, another tip that he shares is get out of cash and get into assets. And I think that's huge because we're just, and we've talked about it on the show today, we're all programmed, Hey, save, save, save. And that's, that's cash. So there's a difference between saving and investing. And when I think about investing, it's in assets. And whether that's stocks, bonds, mutual funds, real estate, you're just investing in, in something that you think is going to appreciate over time. Okay. I'm not talking about, you know, cars and things like that. Those aren't investments. Those depreciate over time. So producing into uh, appreciating assets, investing into appreciating assets. And then Another thing he always looks for, he he loves dividend stocks. So investing in income producing assets. We share the example in our boot camp. You know, if you started in when investing in uh, Walmart when it went public, right? And I think it was 1972, right around there, and you bought thousand dollars worth, it grows to this exponential amount of money. It's like what, guys, $25 million somewhere around there? About 29 million. 29 million dollars. But the kicker is it's paying an income. It's paying a dividend to its shareholders. So you're making $500,000 just on the dividend itself. So looking for income producing assets. 
And then he talks about doing research on a company before investing. And you guys, we have the world at our fingertips with our phones and our computers nowadays, going out and doing a little bit of research on a company that you're looking at, you know, what products do they produce? Are they growing over time? Are they hiring? Are they investing into new buildings and, and, you know, expanding their, what they offer as a service or as a product? I don't think that's hard to do nowadays. Maybe if you're not sure, that's where you lean on a, on an advisor to help you do that. And then I think this one's huge. Invest in things you understand. This does not have to be complicated, okay? If you can't explain it on a on a napkin and a pen, pen and napkin, it's probably not, not a good idea to invest in. So you start getting into the Bitcoins and NFTs and options and futures, very complicated investment strategies, and just make it simple. It's not, it's not. Um, rocket science. I think this is where people get a little bit scared and kind of stop in their tracks. And, you know, I'll share my, my story when I was, I also had a, my own investment account that I was kind of doing by myself. And I thought penny stocks were the way to go because I could buy so many shares. If I put $500 in a penny stock, oh, I could get thousands of shares and Hey, it's just got to go up by a penny. Well, it's a penny stock for a reason. Right. And I didn't understand a penny stock. I didn't know what I was doing. And I ended up losing that money. And I think if I would have just kept it simple and invested in good companies, good funds, it would have been a lot different with that portion of my net worth at the time. Well, the stories that we're all sharing here, I think, just set home for reality for a lot of people because folks out there listening probably have their own thoughts going through their mind on mistakes they've made. Mm-hmm. And we've all made them. And I think sometimes we have to learn the hard way because we do, we get caught up in the two emotions and those, those are by far and away the, the biggest obstacles that we need to overcome as investors. And those are fear and greed. And fear is when you're afraid that you're going to lose your money. So you don't invest. You're afraid of the news. You're afraid of everything going bad. And greed is when you're just, you see everyone making money or see something going up, or you assume that you've figured something out. And like Sean was saying with the penny stocks, that's greed. You just, you get adding up the potential profits. I had that money in the bank. Why not? It's all right. It's right there. But, uh, you know, we've talked to a lot of, a lot of investors over the years, and I've been doing this for 25, 26 years. And it seems like a lot of people had, when I first started, that's, that's one of the things I wanted to do is speculate several clients, you know, speculate on, Stocks like that. And they don't realize when a, when a company is going bankrupt, their shares drop into the pennies and they've declared bankruptcy. And bankruptcy means the shareholders are going to lose everything. So what you're doing there is you're essentially sometimes buying those shares in hopes that you can sell them to someone else. So you're basically tr- buying a sack full of garbage and hoping you can walk to somebody else who doesn't smell how bad it smells and sell it to him for double what you paid. And really, what is it going to produce? You're thinking about these penny stocks. I always look at the investment in the stock is a company. You're buying into the company. So strip it all down and quit thinking about the fancy words and just say, what does that mean? It means that you're becoming a part owner in that business. So if I wanted to say, hey, I'm looking out the window here, I can see Walmart, I can see JP Morgan Chase, I can see Home Depot, I can see Starbucks. All right, what do I think of those businesses going forward? Do I think they're 
profitable? Do I think they're sustainable? Do I think the business is going well? Great. I don't have to go out and start my own new company. I can buy into one that's already established and performing very well already. I become a yeah. shareholder. I can buy shares in the company anytime I want. I can keep increasing my shares. Then I can receive dividends if they're paying dividends. And you know, you don't have to hope that someone comes along, you can sell your crap to somebody else for a better <laughs> price. And I, I equate that to some of the things we already mentioned. And we're going to get into that a little bit more in a minute, but that's that's the whole theory of any crypto. What does it produce? Zero. All it is is something that you can use to exchange. So you, you hope that you can use it to buy goods and services. You hope that someone comes along that's willing to pay more than you did. And that's not investing. That's speculating. That doesn't produce any service or earnings or product. So yeah. but that's what we really have to get away from. And hey, I'm going to share with you. Go ahead, Sean. Oh, maybe one question, because I, I just put myself in the listener's shoes and you would kind of mentioned some of those companies and they're probably thinking, well, maybe I'm not sure, Bill, maybe I'm not sure what company I want to invest in or, or if they're going to be profitable for years to come. I mean, what, what options do you think they have at that point that they could do to, if they don't not comfortable picking one company? Sure. And that's a great question. So when I started, and I think most of us probably echo this, we didn't go out there and pick a couple of stocks. We invested in a bunch of stocks through a mutual fund program. And that's what a mutual fund does is they have a specific professional or a team of professionals that makes those decisions for us. So our money is pooled into a fund. They call it a fund where thousands or millions of other investors can also submit money and they basically buy shares, not directly in those stocks, but indirectly. So they buy direct into the mutual fund, which itself owns the shares of the stocks, if that makes sense. So a stock mutual fund is going to, the manager is going to make those decisions, buying and selling companies, owning a whole basket full of companies, spreading your money around that. And you're going to own indirectly pieces of those companies. You can buy and sell mutual funds any day, just like stocks. They trade slightly differently in those. There's not interday pricing. There's only one price per day at the close. But they're very liquid, and there's all sorts and styles of mutual funds from aggressive to conservative. Stock mutual funds, bond mutual funds, combination. International, small companies, medium-sized companies. I mean, they're all out there. So what I heard you say, I mean, mutual fund is you get instant diversification. Because you're buying into a fund that owns multiple stocks, you're getting professional management, and you're getting liquidity. You can get your money back whenever you'd like. So, yeah, I mean, there's, I, there I like are that. funds that lock it up, so you have to avoid that. You know, mentioned earlier, thinking that you, you know, some of these folks out there, especially on Wall Street, these finance people that graduate from all these Ivy League colleges, you know, sometimes I, I have to step back and caution people on listening too much to these these folks because by far and away the biggest financial bubbles that have been created and collapses have been created by these people that create or that that bring about unnatural products so products that are built around speculation and of course they always believe that they have invented or created a product that's going to be 
bet the best thing the new the new age investment and that's what happened in the financial crisis in 2007 and 8 with all these subprime mortgage packages these were investment vehicles that were put together by these smart people supposedly smart people who didn't know what they were getting into they didn't know what they were really doing they thought they did and then they were selling them to unsuspecting investors who ended up losing a lot of money and we can go on and on about that but just steer clear of these so-called hedge fund platforms and products that lock your money up for a long period of time keep it simple exactly right I'll, I'll share with you some of the mistakes that, that i made when i you know in my career i had a tendency to start wanting to invest in individual securities and it was good i had quite a few winners in my portfolio but then i started listening to research analysts and just kind of buying into whatever they were saying without any fear that they may be wrong research analysts at different firms so specifically i'm talking about when i was working at smith barney it was a research analyst by the name of jack grubman and if you're listening to this uh at my age or maybe even older would remember him he was an analyst that followed the telecommunication stocks excuse me we're almost in the home stretch for the episode but before we cross the finish line, I just want you to know that you can contact Billy and his team at www.petersonws.com or by visiting the show notes. Now, back to harnessing your wealth. So this was getting into the late 90s, early 2000s. And all these telecommunication and technology companies were just going through the roof. Now, I wasn't investing in these some of these companies that didn't have earnings, but I was looking at companies that... I felt like had sustainable long-term uh, investment platform. So Grubman, Jack Grubman was recommending WorldCom. It was one of his strongest buy recommendation, pounding the table on it every day. Almost every week we'd have a new report written from him that talking about how great the company is, how much money everyone's going to make. So it became one of those investments where I just kept following and adding more money to and more money to. Well, long story short, WorldCom was involved in investment fraud. The company was cooking their books. So none of the numbers that they were producing were accurate. And turns out also that Jack Grubman was being compensated by his recommendation, which is amazing to me when you when you really find out how much conflict of interest can happen in certain industries. Now that's things, those things have been regulated away for the most part, but that doesn't mean I didn't learn a valuable lesson there and watch WorldCom actually go bankrupt. And so I had invested a fair amount of my own money in that company and also client money and continued to believe in the research analyst and turned out that he didn't have any of his own money, just continued to recommend it for everyone else. And he was being compensated for those recommendations. And another one was Citigroup. City, it was Citibank back in the day and merged into Citigroup. And they actually became the parent company of Smith Barney, the company I worked for. And they allowed us financial advisors to defer, defer money into the 
into the stock to a employee equity purchase program. And they'd continue to show us how much money it would be worth over time by investing and continuing to buy their shares. Well, they get into the financial collapse and their portfolio, their balance sheet looks horrible and their stock is crumbling, crumbling. And I remember one day in the middle of this financial chaos and the markets are really, really ugly. And this was in 2000 and this was in late 2008. And one of the executive management come into my office. He didn't really know me, obviously, but he was there to kind of have a quick tour of the branches in Utah. Walked into my office as I was one of the top financial advisors there in that branch. And he asked how I was feeling. And I just told him, hey, I was really frustrated with how things were going. Didn't know if the, the firm was on solid footing or not. Wanted to ask his opinion of it. And also what his opinion was of the stock price and if the company was ever going to recover for all of us who had deferred money to buy shares. And he looked at me and kind of chuckled and he said, you mean you still own the stock? <laughs> and I looked at him and I was, was kind of dumbfounded. I couldn't believe what he was saying. I mean, I'm thinking here's one of the high up executives, executives of the company itself. And he's laughing because I still own the stock. So Apparently that told me he had zero faith in the company. He had sold all of his shares. He bragged several months ago before the stock price declined and leave, leave it to us just to keep buying into the whole theory that we're all going to do well by continuing to accumulate those shares. So that was one of the lessons I learned. I know there's long-term investment strategies and I, I'm not telling you to steer clear of buying things when they're down. But I am just suggesting that there are times when you need to be cautious and you need to be careful with what you're doing and get putting too much in one basket. I learned a hard lesson that way. So that's one of the reasons why I left Smith Barney and opened up my own firm at Raymond James. And things have been great here ever since. So just a big bit of background, you know, you learn, you move on from those lessons, but for the most part, Buying and holding good quality companies is the strategy you're after. We've all owned many companies for, I mean, I've owned certain investments for decades and I've never even considered selling the shares. And so those are the typical ways that you're going to, you're going to see well. more, you're going to see more winners than losers. And I think, you know, for people that are listening to this, we're, we're talking to young people. And in the boot camp again, I, I tell these kids, you have the best thing on your side right now, and that's time. You know, that one of the strongest forces in the world is compounding interest. And what I mean when I say that is you make you make 10% on an investment, let's say. Maybe the next year it makes 10% on the on the 10% you made. So it just keeps piling up. And before you know it, you know, it takes time, but before you know it, you've got yourself a pretty nice nest egg. And when you're young and you have that ability to get started, that can be the, one of the most powerful steps you can take. And, and you know, Billy's examples may scare some people, but again, he's he's telling us a life lesson that he learned that, you know, you don't want to fall in love with just one company or, or one fund. You want to keep things diversified throughout your investment, investment life. So, yeah. Very good. Yeah. It, and I know that 
Cade, you'd spent some time with the financial boot camp talking a little bit about the concepts of doubling your money and the rule of 72. I think that would apply here, providing a bit of a refresher on how that formula works and how it can apply to investors at a young age. Yeah, the rule of 72 is awesome. My first exposure to that was actually sitting in the boot camp when I was a student. So it's been going along for a really long time now. And another cool example that I just recently thought of when we were getting ready for this podcast was how you were on Fox News and you did this example. And I just remember you had to rush through it in about 25 seconds. And they were like, okay, see ya, <laughs> right as you're done. But yeah, it's a, just a concept, a calculation that tells you how long it's going to take you to double your money. So you take 72 and you divide that by the rate of return that you're going to earn. And this is fun. This is where you can play around with different returns. Long-term averages, we usually use a 10% return for the calculation. So that would mean it would take, you take 72, divide it by 10, you get about seven years, 7.2 years for you to double your money. So most of us started around the age of 14. And I'd say somewhere around $2,000. We like to do this calculation for young people, especially. So you take $2,000 at the age of 14, and then every seven years, you double your money based on this calculation and this return. So by age 21, you have 4,000, and then it's 8,000 when you're 28, and then 35, it's 16,000, and then 32,000, 64,000. And then when you're 56, it's up to $128,000. You can see the compounding really start to come into play here. When you're 63, $256,000. By the time you're 70, you have over a half million. And then 77, that's when you have over a million dollars. And you might be thinking 77 years old, I'm going to be you know, one foot in the grave. But that calculation isn't adding a single cent for your entire life. It's just saying if you start young and you start small, then you can become wealthy. And that's really the lesson that we're trying to teach these kids. You just got to get started. You got to take action. Nobody is going to do it for you. So if you can get involved with investing, whether it's a couple of stocks or you're picking one mutual fund, then you will reap the benefits in the long run. Yeah. And there's ups and downs in those seven years, right? Remember we talked about this isn't straight up and that's where patience comes in. And that's where you, you've got to take the emotion out of investing. Okay. There's going to be down years. 2022 was a down year, but long-term, if you look at any, I can show you about any chart you want to look at, you can draw a line through it and it goes up over time. And actually what benefits you more is when you have a down year, that's when you up your contributions. Okay. Younger people going into the workforce, hope you're looking for a 401k plan or whatever career choice you're choosing. That'd be one of my first questions. Does your company offer a 401k? All right. If you're working somewhere that doesn't, you know, considering a Roth IRA, I think is a huge tool for young people. It's, it's a way to grow your money and get tax-free distributions when you retire. Um, say maybe you're not old enough yet. You're under the age of 18. There's what's out there. They're called UTMA accounts. Okay. So uniform transfer to a minor act. It's where you can have a, an adult or a parent in most cases sign on the account with you. 
So you can get started that way too. So there's different ways, different account types to get started. But like Kate said, it's just taking that first step. And there are a lot of firms that'll help you or that will accept applications to allow you open an account and get your investment portfolio going. Now, most of the online accounts where you're thinking E-Trade, Fidelity, Schwab, really not going to dedicate an advisor per se to you to help you with your investment decisions. So it may be one of those where you're just selecting a good quality, commonly known mutual fund of some sort. We're not here to providing recommendations. Obviously, everyone has their own suitability and their own risk tolerance. We're happy to talk to you if you need some help or would like some advice there, but that requires us to get to know you. you know, there are a lot of rules involved in <laughs> what we do, what we say, how we say it, what we send out. We're one of the most regulated industries on in the entire planet. And uh, believe me, we're, we're always watching what's going on in the world of regulations. It's important that you get started somewhere. And there, again, like I said, a lot of places that will allow you to open up an investment account and get yourself going. Bank accounts, certainly a step, and you're, you're always going to have a bank account your whole life, but they're not going to get you any true return. Imagine with the, the formula that Kay just explained, the rule of 72, I think you can carry that out on your own, but imagine using a 1% return versus a 10% return. You can do the math in your head. It'd take you 72 years just to double one time. <laughs> so you're dead before you even went to 4,000. So I just think it's important to understand rate, rate of return is really, really important, really critical. And you're trying to get the best return you can. However, there's a fine line. You don't want to cross the fence into speculation where you can lose it all. Think about all the poor people who lost everything in their FTX cryptocurrency accounts and and also buying stock in the bank that just collapsed SVP was it called Silicon uh, Valley Bank SVB yeah SVB and again poor management you know we we went through that before but you have to be careful you have to think about what you're doing you have to invest in companies that have quality management that's the, one of my foremost rules invest in businesses that have quality management teams that understand what the heck they're doing around economics and finance. I I frown on a lot of the people that come out of these schools that, that just assume that they have everything figured out and they don't need to apply any of the long-term principles. That's why we always go back to Warren Buffett time and time again. His methods work. They, they were time-tested. He's been doing this. He's 92 years old, guys. <laughs> and he's still sharp as a tack. I mean, he still holds his meetings. He still reads actual newspapers, Sean, believe it or not. He gets them on yep. his desk. He I don't know where he gets them from. Three papers a day, what, <laughs> what I've been told. So, uh, yeah, he gets them. I mean, you can actually still get a subscription to any newspaper you want. I still get one here once a week. Did you know that? I know. I, a, I know. I actual, get those on my desk. I'm I like, can't, oh. I don't understand you young guys that want to just look at your phones all the time. Doesn't that just annoy you after a while? It actually does. It's yeah, so it kind of gets old, but it's nice when you throw an article on my desk. It's kind of refreshing something Is to look it? at. Well, I'm going to yeah. do so more often then because there's a yeah. lot of things that you need to learn. Keep them uh, coming. I will. I will. And get off your phones out there, people. If you're listening <laughs> to this, I, I told these guys it was the best day of my life when I forgot, I forgot my phone one day at the office. I left it here. I forgot I left it, went home, 
And it was like a chain had been released from me. So um, I, I think we need to detach, detach yeah. more often. I couldn't agree with you more. And <laughs> and everyone out there that that's listening or is going to pass this along, investing is is fun. I mean, it's exciting. It it is really cool to see your money grow throughout the years and build up a, a nice nest egg for yourself. So I, I think you know, make, make this fun. Don't make it scary. Don't make it intimidating, get excited about it and, and make it something that you like to do and you get involved in and, you know, it's just going to be there for you down the road. If you do want to invest in some individual companies, I would recommend getting a, a decent sized investment account built up first. And then if you had, let's say you had 10 to $25,000 and you want to buy a few ind individual companies, buy companies that you know. Don't go out there and speculate on businesses that are unknown or may not have a product that's sustainable or a service that's sustainable. Uh, we call it a moat, meaning they, they're not going to be attacked or taken over by another company with a better product. Right. And so right. I think, you know, you could diversify into three or four or five different companies and then you're following them. You're watching what they're doing, getting invested. If it's for your child or grandchild that you're listening and you're a parent or grandparent, help them get going, help them understand what it means and put their app on their phone so they can follow those stock prices and see what's going on with the products that these companies have out there. Buy what you know. Look at the stores. Look at the products. Are people buying these things? Are the trends going in the right direction? All right. That's you, what biggest thing to do. If you don't know, seek advice. Correct. There's, there's people out there just like us. We're, we're happy to talk, talk to our clients, friends, and families, but seek advice if you're not sure. It's also pretty cool to go and support a company that you own. For example, <laughs> we like to go to Starbucks because we own that stock and we like to walk in there. And since we own shares, we start barking orders at everybody in there telling them what to do. Hey, you we work don't, for us. We, <laughs> we don't bark. Yeah. Well, we like to. Sometimes we do. We're going to yeah. hey, we don't like this employee. We're going to actually leave. <laughs> you know, I and I followed that advice too. Watch what your wife spends if you're married. Watch where she's spending the money and then maybe consider that as an investment because I know Sean and I have made that decision a few times and it's actually panned out quite handsomely. Yep. Lululemon was one great example. When, <laughs> when women start going there and pulling four or $500 each trip, well, you start to raise your eyebrows and wonder what's going on with that company. So yeah, it's been a good one. Yeah. Anyway, guys, thanks for joining us today out there. Cade, Sean, appreciate your comments. Great as always. Thank you. Thanks. Lining up another good show for you next time. Listeners, thanks for joining us today and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Harnessing Your Wealth with Billy Peterson. Before we declare the race official, please click the follow button so you can be notified when new episodes become available. For more information about today's show, please check out the show notes. Visit our website at www.petersonws.com or give us a call at 801-475-4002. Once again, thank you for listening. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Peterson Wealth Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. 
Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.